We're standing here a, a week before Rosh Hashanah, and I want to discuss this morning what Rosh Hashanah is. What is it that we're anticipating? What is it that's before us? The scary element of Rosh Hashanah, we know. Rosh Hashanah is a Yom Adin. It's a day of judgment. It's a day that all humanity passes before the Rabbi Yishlaylam and HaKadosh Baruch Hu judges us. And he judges us for the past year what we've done right, what we've done wrong, how we have affected other people, how we have related to the Rabbi Yishlaylam. And so that's the... Uh, uncomfortable part of Rosh Hashanah. And that's why there is a Chaydesh Elul where the Bali Musar of old people that were sensitive to the times, they would be very nervous throughout the entire month of Elul. Many of them didn't talk. Many of them were macabre on themselves, all types of um, Kabbalists, different things to better themselves so that as we come into the new year, we uh, were prepared for the Ayyem We could show HaKadosh Baruch Hu that at least we're trying. There is an expression that used to be very common in the olden days that even the fish in the sea tremble during Chaydesh Elul in anticipation of the looming Ayyem And that is definitely part of Rosh Hashanah. But there's another part of Rosh Hashanah that I really prefer focusing on, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Rosh Hashanah is the Rosh of the Shana. Besides for a look back of Tavshin Pei, how we were in the judgment, which is frightening, Rosh Hashanah is also a day to look forward. It's the head of the new coming year. It's the beginning of a new period of time in our life. And it's filled with excitement. It's filled with a positive outlook that Amir Hashem, things will be good this coming year for the world, for our families, for our communities, for ourselves. And it's the site of the new year. Rosh Hashanah is the foundation of the entire Tavshin Pei Aleph. Whatever happens in Tavshin Pei Aleph, the foundation is being laid during Rosh Hashanah itself. Foundations are very important. There was a, a Yid by the name of Vagshal, who lived in B'nai Brak about a hundred years ago. And he had this dream that he would build in the, the city of B'nai Brak, which at the time was really just farmland. It was a very undeveloped settlement town before the Chazanish came and the Panavit Shirov came and all the great Gedalim built it into the Ir HaTayra that it is today. But then if you see pictures of the Bnei Brak of old, it was basically just empty space with a few little ramshackle houses. 
And this Yid, by the name of Vakshal, had a dream. He wanted to build a hotel and a chasna hall, or a simcha hall, on the first floor of the hotel. And it was a little bit, uh, he was ahead of his time a little bit, because the city wasn't really developed yet, as I said. And when the Chazanish came to Bnei Brak, and the Chazanish was known already soon thereafter as being the Gadol Adar, the Gadol Atayra, the person that had Das Taira, and he became the address of every single person that had any issue and needed some resolution to those issues, he would be the first and the last address that people would go to. So this Yid came to the Chazanish and said, I want to discuss with you my dream that I have. And he started telling him about the hotel and about the, the way that the hall would be. And he really wanted from the Chazanish a bracha. He wanted maybe to get a little bit of a advice about how to go about raising the money because he wasn't a wealthy Yid. And the Chazanish says, you know, architecturally, I can't really help you because look at my home. The Chazanish lived in this little hut that was broken down. It was all, it wasn't, it wasn't at all anything fancy. He had the most basic life. He had nothing. He had very, very little, sort of like, I guess, what Rav Steinemann's apartment would look like later in life. And he says, architecturally, I, I hope you're not coming to me for, as like an interior decorator because I can't help you with that. But if you want to know one you cite, one thing I will tell you, that when you actually build this building, whenever that day comes, when you get the money together and you build the building, whatever the contractor tells you to do in terms of the foundation of this structure, do double. If he tells you that you need 10 beams of wood to go across the foundation, put 20 beams. If he tells you you need a certain amount of cement, of concrete to be laid, do double that amount. So this Yid looks at the Chazanish and says, Rebbe, it says, I came to you for how to raise money, how to save money, and you're doubling all my expenses already. I didn't even get off the ground. You're already telling me I have to pay the contractor double? The Chazanish looks at him and he says, yes. He says, because everything goes by the foundation. Everything is haylech acher hayesayd. The foundation is so important to everything. Whatever you do afterwards with the other floors, and that is up to you. But the foundation has to be solid. If you want something to have a kiyom, if you want something to succeed, you have to make sure that the foundation that you're pouring, the foundation that you're building, is strong and secure and sound. This Yid Vakshal actually listened listen to this advice of the Chazanish, and till today, there's a very famous hotel and Chasna Hall still standing, that same building in Bnei Brak. It's called Ulam Vakshal and Malon Vakshal. It's like a little empire that this man built. I don't think he's alive anymore, but it's still standing. And the reason why it's still standing so many decades later is because the Chazanish told him that you have to make sure that the foundations are strong. This is the Chazanish L'shitasai. 
when the Panevich Arav decided to build not too far away from that hotel his great Makam Taira of Panevich and his yard site was this past week the Panevich Arav we all know the story that he built it at a very inauspicious time it was a time that the Nazis were at the threshold of Eretz Yisrael, Ramel Yimach with his troops were coming in, they were about to enter into Eretz Yisrael. In fact, it was such a scary time for the Eden Eretz Yisrael, the Arabs in, throughout Eretz Yisrael, they were writing on the homes of the Eden, this is my property, meaning they're already calling dibs on different people's homes and apartments and buildings for when the Nazis would roll into Eretz Yisrael, Rachman al-Litzlan, and eventually the Arabs thought that they would be the beneficiaries of that, they already had called houses that this is where I'm going to be moving into. That's how real the situation was for the Yidin living in Eretz Yisrael. They had to go out of their own homes and see Arab writing on their houses, like it was a done deal. And in this background, in this climate, the Chazanish said, I'm building a yeshiva that's going to have hundreds of guys learning Torah in B'nai Brak. There weren't maybe 20 B'nai Torah in the whole country at that time that was interested in learning Torah. Plus, the Nazis were on the verge of entering Eretz Yisrael. And here comes the Panevich with his great dreams and ambitions of building Torah in Eretz Yisrael, which would flourish and would be the Harvard of yeshivas. So it was going to be the yeshiva of all yeshivas. And people thought that he was off his wall. People, people thought that, that, that the Panevich Rav literally was losing it. He, they, they literally thought that. And because it's, it's such a ridiculous thing. I mean, you know, today in hindsight, well, Panevich, but at the time it was such a, a far-fetched, harebrained idea because it was just so not the time to do it. And he made a Hanukkah's Evan Apina, he made a a cornerstone laying ceremony and famously a yid there said Panevich Rav, are you dreaming? This is a dream, right? This is, this is ridiculous, this is insane. And the Panevich Rav famously said yes, I am a dreamer but unlike other dreamers I don't sleep. I'm not sleeping, I'm dreaming I'm a visionary, but I'm not asleep. I get it. I understand what's going on, and I'm determined to push this thing through. And of course he did. And when he laid the foundation of Panovich, he was crying demise shlish. He was crying, shedding tears upon tears, so many tears, in fact, that the cement was wet from the tears of the Panevich Rav. They didn't have to use water to, to make the cement into, into cement. They used the, the tears of the Panevich Rav. The Chazanish was present at that Hanachas Apina, at that foundation-laying ceremony. And the Chazanish said, when seeing the Panevich Rav crying into the, into the foundation, he says, when you go to an event, when you go to a yeshiva or a shul's groundbreaking ceremony, and they're serving schnapps, and they're making l'chaims, and they're serving herring, and, uh, and cake, and, 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 and sushi. So then, and there's music playing, he says, then it's a suffolk whether there will be a kiyom, 
Suffolk, whether there won't be a king. Maybe it will be a great yeshiva or a shul or Beis Yaakov or Kailul, or maybe it won't, who knows. But when you go to a ceremony and you see a gobble crying into the foundation of the building, he says it's for sure going to be Matzliach. Hazayrim bedima berino yiktsayru. When you plant with tears, you will harvest with great song. So this was the Chazanish Lashitasa. The Chazanish understood the importance of Yisaitis. When something foundationally is, found, is sound and secure and done right, then you can rest assured that whatever grows after that will flourish. Whatever is built on top of a strong foundation is going to succeed with Siat Dishmaya. Rosh Hashanah Rabbi Sai is a foundation for the entire year. It's the Rosh Hashanah. And when we have a good, solid Rosh Hashanah, then the entire year, will be good. Because the foundation that we're pouring, the foundation that we're building, the foundation that we're laying, will be so strong and good that it bodes very well for the coming year. It's brought Bashem the Vilna Gain that when we say on Rosh Hashanah and Davening, right after the Tkias, or this year we won't have Tkias on the first day, but you still say this Hayyim Haras Eilam. If you look in the Arts Girl Sitter, what does that mean, Hayyim Haras Eilam? That means that today is the birthday of the world. Today is the day that the world was born. What does that mean today was day? The, the truth is that it's not really accurate because the world was really born on Chaf five days earlier than Rosh Hashanah because what was Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah was the day that Adam Harishan was born. But yet the fact that the Adam Harishan was the pinnacle of the world we consider Rosh Hashanah the day that the world was created in that sense, because Adam is the main part of the world. But the Vilna Gain says a different shot in this. He says, Haras does not mean to be born. Haras means to conceive or to be pregnant with. Like a Lashon of Heirayin. Heirayin means to be pregnant. If a woman is Hine Hara, she is pregnant or she is conceived. And that's really, says the guy, in what Hayyim Harasalam means. Rosh Hashanah is the day, not that the world was born, but that the world is pregnant. What does it mean the world is pregnant? Everything that will happen to a baby, all of the DNA of a child, that will determine the color of the baby's hair, the color of his or her eyes, the size of the baby, the different features of the baby, the health of the baby, the heart of the baby, the kidneys, everything is determined during the period of pregnancy. Hayyim HaRasailam means the entire pregnancy of Tafshin Pei Aleph 
is taking place on Rosh Hashanah. And everything that will be with this baby called Tavshin Pei Aleph is all being formed on this day of Rosh Hashanah. L'tayvar l'motov. For good or for bad, everything is being processed, developed, formed during this period called Rosh Hashanah. That's what Hayyim Haras Ayla means. Today is the day that there is a pregnancy taking place in the world. The entire format of Tafshim Pei Aleph is being formulated right now. And that's a very critical thing because that means that it's the sight of the year. You know, when a woman is pregnant, is carrying a baby inside, it's very important that she takes proper care of herself so that her fetus is developing properly. So a woman takes a lot of vitamins when, when she's pregnant because the vitamins are giving the proper nourishment to the child. So she's taking vitamins for, for different things, for vitamin C, vitamin D, whatever, all the things that you need vitamins for, a woman takes during pregnancy because not just for herself, but that her child should be getting those nutrients. If you'd ever see a woman that's pregnant smoking, you'd give her like a really dirty look. Not you, but people that know her because what are you doing to the child? How are you doing this? You're, you're harming your baby. If a woman's drinking alcohol and stuff like that, things that are very harmful for the child, that's a terrible thing. Because you are thereby affecting the fate of your own baby. Sometimes babies come out sick and deformed, Rahman al-Islam, because of things that the mother did during pregnancy. If she was taking drugs or she was, uh, I don't know, exposing herself to different uh, harmful radi- radiation and things like that, it's a, it affects the baby. And the same exact thing is true for Rosh Hashanah. Whatever we do on the Yom Tov of Rosh Hashanah, is very, very critical to the health of Tavshin Pei Aleph. That's why we have on the first night of Rosh Hashanah, and some people do it on the second night as well, Simonim. Simonim is not, by the way, a, uh, you know, a newfangled minig. Simonim are brought, it's a, it's a Gemara in Harius. The Gemara says, Simonim Milsahi, that you're supposed to eat certain fruits on Rosh Hashanah night in order to have a good omen for the year. It's an old, it's, it's, it's a Gemara. And that's why people eat many, many simonim, because those are like the vitamins that you're taking into your body so that the baby is healthy, that the coming year has all of those healthy things that you want. That should be l'roshvay l'zanav, that it should be a shana taiva masuka, that it should be a sheyichrusu saineno, and that sheitamus saineno. All of the things that we want, our enemies to go down, and for us to be heads, and to be, to be able to have a sweet new year, and to be, and, and to have all of the, the great blessings that the year promises, we take those types of simonim, which are real, simonim milsi, it's a real thing. And that will determine the fate of the year. That's why we don't do certain things also in Rosh Hashanah. We don't eat nuts. We don't eat uh, egeizim, walnuts, because egeizim is begematria chet. 
doesn't really work out the gematria. It's off by one, but that's okay. But egeis is the gematria ched, and there's a famous, so a lot of, everyone's very makbid, not to eat those walnuts on Rosh Hashanah. A great Hasidish Rebbe once said, because egeis is gematria ched, nobody eats egeis. Egeis is on Rosh Hashanah. He says, but ched is also gematria ched. Everyone's so obsessed with, uh, with not eating walnuts. What about not doing averis? Ched is also gematria ched. You know, so you're busy not eating walnuts, but you could speak Lashon Hara, and you could, you know... Obviously, Rosh Hashanah is a very important time to do the right things and also to avoid doing the wrong things. We don't sleep on Rosh Hashanah, or we try not to. Rosh Hashanah day. It's the Yerushalmi. The Yerushalmi says that, that Manda, whoever sleeps on Rosh Hashanah, the Lashon of the, the Yerushalmi is Manda Domech Bereshata Domech Mazle. If a person sleeps at the beginning of the year on Rosh Hashanah, he'll, he'll have like a, a sleepy mazel that year. What does that mean? It, it, what we're doing on Rosh Hashanah determines whatever the entire year will be because it's the foundation, it's the situs of the year. Not only is it affecting the year that we're avoiding problems by doing the right thing on Rosh Hashanah, but it also has great potential, Rosh Hashanah, for what, what the year will hold for us. We have so much potential in Tavshim Payal if we don't even understand our potential. We don't understand how much we could accomplish in a single day, let alone a whole year. When is all of that decided? When does HaKadosh Baruch Hu give us that unique ability to fulfill our potential? And the answer is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not just judging us on what we did bad in Tavshin Pei. He's also judging us now on what our potential will be in Tavshin Pei Aleph. How much Torah will I be able to learn? How many chidushim will I be able to think of? How many projects will I start and actually succeed in, 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 in completing? How good will I be in my relationships with my friends, with my rabbeim, with my, with my family? Will I be able to, Hashem, find my shidduch if I'm, if I'm looking to get married this year? Will I be able to get the job that I was looking for? Will I be able to be, be the type of person that I want to be? Change my bad midas? All of that determined on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the site of the entire world, of the entire year. And, and therefore, whatever we do on Rosh Hashanah, it's such an important time, Rosh Hashanah. So we find ourselves in Mitzvah Hashem in, in, in Yeshiva and we're able to daven, and we're able to be in the right place at the right time of the year, and make sure to avoid bad chavra and bad people. Rabbi Shmulevitz always says that on, after davening on Rosh Hashanah day, that you know, just because you're not supposed to sleep on Rosh Hashanah doesn't mean that you should just be you know, wasting the whole day and you know, being in the dorm rooms and, and playing, uh, playing board games or something. If you're going to either, if you're going to learn on Rosh Hashanah day, great. If you're going to be doing stuff that's bad and schmoozing and having, you know, and just, uh, you know, having, you know, wasting your time and schmoozing stupidity the whole day, then it's better to go to sleep. 
because everything is really determined right now on Rosh Hashanah. I had a thought that the word shaifer, which of course is the instrument, the tool of Rosh Hashanah, shaifer is a lashon, Chazal say this, shifru ma'asechem. It's a lashon of to be mishaper, to beautify, to enhance your actions, your deeds. The shaifer is a, a call to action that we have to improve our ways to be mishaper our ways. And I was thinking that you find that one of the Mialedas, the Mialedas, the Mialdas in Egypt, those midwives that gave birth, that helped the Jewish mothers give birth, the two of them, famous Shifra and Pua. Shifra was Yecheved and Pua was Miriam. And Rashi brings the Chazal that why was her name Shifra? Her real name was Yecheved, so why is the Torah calling her Shifra? And Chazal say that Shifra is a Lashon Shemeshaferes as Havlad. Her specialty was that she was able somehow to beautify the Vlad. When the baby, when the infant comes out, it's a Chachma of a midwife to be able to do something to, to format the baby, to, to move its limbs around and to do something, things to the baby to make it beautiful. That's Shifra. And I was thinking that if Hayyim Haras Eilam, if, if Rosh Hashanah is really a day of pregnancy and, and giving birth to Tavshin Pe'alev, the job of the Shaifer is to be Meshaferes the Vlad, to beautify that infant, to make sure that the coming year is really glorious and beautiful and that we're determined through Tshuva and through Kabbalah al-Asid to make sure that our, the Vlad of Tavshin Pe'alev, this new baby that's about to come into the world, is beautified. How do we beautify it? Through a shaifer. The shaifer, when we hear the shaifer, and we get scared and we do tshuva, and the shaifer has so many different meanings. There's so many different kavanas for a shaifer. Sajagain has a whole list. Matan Taira on the, the shaifer, the Yitaka B'Shaifer Gadol, during Masad Lavai Mitzvah and the, the Eilish Shal Yitzchak, there's so many different kavanas in the Shaifer. One thing a Shaifer does is Meshaper the Vlad. It makes sure somehow, some way, that this baby is going to become beautiful. That's the instrument of a Shaifer. Now this year, because the first day of Rosh Hashanah is Shabbos, we don't have a shaifer. Chazawar Mesakein, that because we're afraid of some far-fetched thing that you're not going to know how to blow a shaifer and you're going to go and carry it in Rosh Hashanah to, to, to learn how to use the shaifer, because of that far-fetched concern, Chazawar Mesakein across the board, there's no shaifer on Shabbos. We'll have it in Mitzvah Hashem the second day of Rosh Hashanah, but not the first day of Rosh Hashanah. And that should be a, so- a source of concern for us because if the shaifer is really mishaper the year, if it's mishaper the vlad and we don't have it, so then what are we going to do? 
if the Isaidis is missing the Shifer, so then we're, we're lacking something major in terms of the pregnancy, in terms of the, the newborn baby of Tavshim Aleph. But in a sense, it's much better this way. Because if the site of the year, Tavshim Aleph, is Shabbistic, if we're entering into a, a realm of Kedusha Shabbos, at the beginning of the year, at the foundation of the year, then it's like Hayrasa Bikdusha, Veleidasa Bikdusha. It's like having the most glorious, the most sacred of births. Because Shabbos is the, is the beginning of the year. So whatever we're losing out in terms of the fact that we don't have the shoifer to Meshafer the Vlad, but we do have Shabbos. So it's a great trade-off. Shabbos, to start the year off with Kedusha Shabbos, means that the entire year will have the aura of Kedusha Shabbos on it. The problem is that our Shabbos, unfortunately, is not always what it should be. And this is not a, a problem that we're having here. It's a problem throughout the entire world. Reb the great Mashkiach, used to say, quoting a, a beautiful letter from the Ramban. The Ramban once made a trip to Eretz Yisrael, not once, towards the end of his life, he moved to Eretz Yisrael. But when he first came to Eretz Yisrael, he wrote a letter to his son. He had a son, his name was Nachman, who he named after his father, because the Ramban stands for Meshav and Nachman. So his father's name was Nachman, and then he named his son Nachman after his father. He writes a gorgeous letter. You have to see this letter inside. But he writes a letter to his son Nachman, and he writes about the sights that he's seeing throughout Eretz Yisrael. You have to understand, this wasn't a day, that, a day and age that you had, you know, the jet age that you were able to fly back and forth to Eretz Yisrael every, every week. This is like a big deal to go to the Holy Land from Spain, from Portugal, wherever the Ramban's family was at the time. So he wrote back a letter and he said, he was describing what was going on in Yerushalayim and what was going on in, in Hebron and all the places that he was visiting. And he says one line in, the le- in this letter that became very famous. He says, Kol HaKadosh Mechaveray Charev Yeser Mechaveray He was lamenting the Ramban that whatever degree of holiness any given place that he was visiting had that's how charev it was. That's how destroyed and desolate it was. At the time the Ramban visited Yerushalayim, there was came out no Jews living in Yerushalayim. The Makam Mikdash, the Kaisal was, it was just, it wasn't like it is today. And then he went to Hebron, he went to Mars, wherever he went, the holier it was, the holier the place was, the, the greater the, the damage was. That was the line that he wrote to his son. It's, it's, a, it's a sad line. In a way, it's a blessing. And I think this is the Ramban, also the Shittasa, because the Ramban writes somewhere in his Chumash, uh, Pirish, that, that there was a reason for that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu made 
desolation in Eretz Yisrael so that other countries would not come and conquer it and take it over permanently. If, let's say, Eretz Yisrael would look uh, beautiful and everything was growing properly and everything was, was, and, you know, it was a land flowing with milk and honey, every single country would try to take it over and conquer it and they, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't allow that to happen and he, what he did was he made it Charov Yaser, he made it destroyed and desolate so people would come say, this is like a backwater country, I don't even want to take it over, it's not worth it. Reb Chatzko used to say that this line that the Ramban wrote about whatever has holiness tends to be more ruined. He says this is true in our personal life as well. The holier things are, the more chance that we're destroying it. The Sahara doesn't want us to be holy people. The Sahara doesn't want us to have that great title of a Mamlachas Kayin and Megai Kaddish. So he puts a full court press on anything holy. Anything that has Kedusha, whether it's learning Tyra, which is probably the greatest, not probably, it is, the greatest struggle, and we spoke about this last week, the greatest struggle that we have is learning Tyra precisely because it's so important and powerful and foundational. So that's holy, very often that's Haruf. Shabbos is something that is so holy, it's so important for the neshama to have Shabbos and to be in the right environment on Shabbos and to be able to do the right things and stay away from the wrong things on Shabbos that it's char of yaser. It very often, it's so easy for us to fall prey to doing the wrong things on Shabbos and to, with our own yadayim, with our own hands, to undermine the Kedusha Shabbos. It's an amazing thing. We could be so good, but yet very often we fall very short of what we should be doing on Shabbos. This year, the theme of this year is going to be Shabbos. The foundation of this year is Shabbos, so the theme of this year is Shabbos. And so it really is important Going into Rosh Hashanah, and we have a week to prepare for this, and we even have a Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah t- tonight and tomorrow to really give ourselves like a little bit of a running head start into Tav Shempei Aleph to prepare ourselves a little bit mentally for how we're going to be Mekade Shabbos and Tav Shempei Aleph in a more deep, in a more profound, in a holier way. Shabbos is the Makara Bracha. Shabbos is the source of all blessing. If we want a, a, a good Tafshim Peyal, if we want a, a Tafshim Peyal which is full of Bracha, Shabbos, this year, which is starting the year, it has to be holy. And if we could do that, if we could make the first Shabbos of the year holy, then the subsequent Shabbos will be holy. And the week, the days in between the Shabbos will be holy because the days are all influenced by the Shabbos that precedes it and by the Shabbos that will come after it. I want to speak about something very personal that I don't think I've really ever spoken about here at Barabbim. When I was a Bachar learning in Chaim Berlin Yeshiva, 
So I was like to be very close with Rosh Shiva of Aaron Shechter, who should live and be well. And he liked me very much. I liked him very much. We had a very good relationship, Leah and Hara, and we still do to this day. One thing that really stands out in my mind about this Adam God, is his Shabbos. Now, I was invited very often to come to his house for Shabbos. And whenever he invited me, it was like a tremendous simcha. Because it was literally me'ein ha'ilam haba. To spend Shabbos at the Rosh table was something that I had never seen before in my life. And Baruch Hashem, my, my family, as a, my father, Shalom, and Yibad Lachai, my mother, made a beautiful Shabbos. And a, but I never had felt such a radiance of Kedusha as I had at the Rosh table. What was so special at this table? His minig was that Shabbos is Shabbos. And at the Shabbos table, there is no schmoozing. It's a very hard template to set for any of us because it's not normal in a way not to schmooze. You want to have at your family table, you want to talk and joke around and have a nice time. And I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just telling you what I saw and the ideal, which is Shabbos, which is probably what the Rabbi Nishlam had in mind in a, in a perfect world as to how Shabbos should look. So we would sit down by the Suda and the Rebbein had responded his long white beard and his, his, his special tishbekesher, uh, like a special... Um, robe that he wore, a silk robe by the, by the table, and that I'm sure he still does wear. And this was like the order. This was the seder of the meal. He'd make kiddush with all the kedusha and tara, and then um, we would wash, come back to the table, make hamaitzi on lecha mishnah, but you do it kiminag agra. The gra is the minig following a uh, following the Shita Sarashpa, that he would basically take both chalas and cut it together at the same time, as opposed to just taking one of them and cutting it, he would cut both of them. Unusual minig to see for the first time, at least. And then um, we would all get chumashim. There would be mekrais gedailis. Everybody would get a chumash. And he'd start learning pasuk chumash from the parsha. Rashi, maybe a Kliyakar, maybe Ramban. We'd, that he close the Chumash, and then we'd get to eat a little bit. After that, we'd sing some Zmiras, and then we'd all get our Chumashim back again. We could talk and learning with him in what he was talking about. But there was no schmoozing. There was no, you know, how was your week? There was no, uh, now is Shabbos. Don't care how your week was. Not important. Right now we're in the world of Shabbos. And more Zmiris and more Tyra. And the food was delicious, but not because it was uh, gourmet. 
It was delicious because the Kedusha Shabbos was baked into the food. And you didn't want to leave because you were tapping into something that was so cosmic that it was nitzchi, it was forever, it was eternal. That's how Shabbos should be. And he's a Shabbos Tikayid. He lives for Shabbos. I remember once we were walking home on a Shabbos day after, after davening in Yeshiva. We were walking to, to, to the, the Suda by day, and, which is, by the way, a hakpada that he had, and I tried to bring it to Yeshiva a little bit. You know, we always say, uh, we're eating uh, supper, Shabbos, uh, lunch. Who are you going to for lunch on Shabbos? When I said that once to Yeshiva, he got very upset at me. There's no lunch on Shabbos. There's no supper. There's no dinner. He says, this is the first suit of Shabbos, the second suit of Shabbos, the Shal Shuddis. There's no supper. There's no lunch. It's not lunch. Lunch is what you have, like, you know, you have a slice of pizza upstairs for lunch on a Tuesday, on a Monday. Lunch, there's no lunch on Shabbos. It's a, it's a second, second suit of Shabbos. It's the day suda. It's not lunch. It's semantics, maybe, but it's not semantics. It's so important in the shirish of the neshama to be able to gauge what it is. There's a pachad Yitzchak that he always quotes about, about, you don't say good night. Sometimes, you know, before my kids go to sleep on Friday night, I say, okay, good night, Tati. There's no night on Shabbos. Shabbos has no night. It's, 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 it's a yayim shakule Shabbos. There's no night, there's no morning. It's just Shabbos. Say good Shabbos. Shabbos is so important. There's halachas that you don't say the word Shabbos in a bathroom. It's, it's not a shame Hashem. Why can't I say it? Because there's such intrinsic kedusha to Shabbos. So we were walking home one day after davening on Shabbos and, and we were walking uh, down the block on Coney Island Avenue, and all of a sudden, across the street, right outside of Reb David Cohn's shul, which is like opposite Chaim Berlin, diagonally opposite, and there's right outside their shul, there's a, a, a reserve parking spot for a Hatzala ambulance. And sure enough, as we were walking, there was a call, and, and some, uh, you know, Hatzala guy comes drives his car, pulls in front of the, right in back of the ambulance, and then he gets out of his car, he turns on the ambulance, the sirens are gone, and it's all on Shabbos. And of course, they're doing a tremendous mitzvah, but Rav Aaron's grandchildren and, you know, uh, young kids were walking in front of us, and they were just staring, as, as, as we all were, you know, what's going on? And after that solo ambulance pulls off in a, in a, in a, in a, in a rush, in a race against time, Rav Aaron gathers us all on the street of Coney Island Avenue on the sidewalk and he looks at the little children. He bends down and he says, Shabbos Kaidesh! Shabbos Kaidesh! He wasn't making a macha against the Hatzalah. But when you see such a thing on Shabbos, it could somehow diminish Kedusha Shabbos in a certain sense. 
It can't but not. If you see people, you know, with their walkie-talkies on Shabbat, then beep, you know, and they're, they're taking, listening. It, it's a, they're doing a mitzvah, but for me to see that mitzvah sometimes is corrosive because it, it takes away from, the, from the, the searing nature, which is Shabbos. And so what he wanted to do was to drive home the point to his grandchildren, to his children, to anyone around him that it's Shabbos. And of course they're doing what they have to do, but it's Shabbos. And we have to have that profound recognition and, and fear of Shabbos and aim of Shabbos and Yira and Reses and Zaya because Shabbos is something special. It's not just the day of the week that we have off. It's not a day of the week that we can't do certain malachas. That's a primitive notion of Shabbos. That's a, a very superficial notion of Shabbos. Shabbos is not the laven, it's the assays. And there's very few assays of Shabbos. But the assays of Shabbos is how you define your Shabbos. The kiddush, and by extension, how you're mekadeh Shabbos. That's what Shabbos is. Shabbos is a day that you infuse with kedusha by yourself. It is what you make of it. It could be a very chill day of relaxing and just catching up on some sleep. Or it could be a day that you fill with kedusha and Tara in the way you eat and what you speak about and how you daven and how you relate to people and how you dress and how you behave. And the more you act shabbos the more you have Shabbos. We make Shabbos by ourselves. Shabbos is not something that is. Shabbos is what we make it. I saw a, a, a story just recently in one of the, one of the newspapers that Rav Aaron was by a, a chasna, Rabbi Sonnenschein, I just showed him the article. He's also, he's also a Chaim Berliner, and he said that he thinks this story happened by his brother's chasna. Anyway, there's a, a famous uh, Chaim Berliner, and uh, his name is Rabbi Nate Siegel. Nachum Siegel, um, who is the famous radio personality, he has a brother, Nate. Nate is a rabbi in a, a shul on Staten Island, like a Kirov shul. And he's very close to the Rebbein, extremely close. And they were sitting by a chasna together, and um, he was introducing him to a lot of the balabatim in his shul. He's introducing the Rebbein to, and a lot of them were, some of them were from, and some of them were not yet from. But one after another, there was like a line, and he was introducing them to Rebbein. He always talked to Rebbein, so to them it was like a very special thing. And one of the people that came forward, Rabbi Siegel told Ravaran, this is a very chashava balabayas that I have in my shul. He comes to shul six days a week. Six days a week he's in shul. Ravaran said, what do you mean six days a week? There's seven days in a week. So he says, Shabbos he's not able to keep yet. Soon maybe, but not yet. And they schmooze a little bit, and then that was the end of the conversation. At the end of the chasna, Rav Aaron goes over to, to Nate Siegel, and he says, I had a nice conversation with, uh, with your balabas. So he says, which one? I introduce you to many of them. He says, the one that's uh, not yet from. 
the one that's not keeping Shabbos yet. He didn't understand, but what Rav Aaron did was, and this is very, it's a big chiddish if you know Rav Aaron, and you know, he's such a melech. He's a, he went around the Chasna Hall after he was introduced to him. Later that night, he wanted to speak to him again. He wanted to speak to this particular Balabayas again. And so he was going from table to table. Are you, do you know, are you part of Rabbi Siegel Shul? Are you part of Rabbi Siegel Shul? Until he finally tracked down that Yid. And he spent a lot of time with him at the Chasna. And he was asking him about what he does for a living. And he, works for, he worked in a bodega. And he needed to be there on Shabbos. And um, he wasn't able to, his boss would not give him off. And he needed the job very badly. He wasn't ready yet to make that leap into the world of Shabbos. So Ravan was very sympathetic to him. And he was speaking to him about how his responsibilities, he should try to minimize Chol Shabbos, and he was telling him different pieces of advice, what he should do on Shabbos, what he shouldn't do on Shabbos in the store. And, you know, and he also spoke a little bit about Shabbos in a very non-threatening way, in a beautiful way, which, as I said, Rav Aaron, if there's one Yid in the world that knows what Shabbos is, it's Rav Aaron. And, and that was it. So, Next time Nate Siegel saw this Balabas, he says, Rabbi, he says, your rabbi loves me. He says, what happened? He was talking to me, he was giving me chizuk, he was encouraging me. He says, I'm thinking really strongly now about, about stopping working on Shabbos. He worked a little bit longer, a couple of weeks or months longer, and then he told his boss, says, either I get off on Shabbos or I'm quitting my job. And the boss allowed him to, to stay, even though he wasn't going to be working on Shabbos. And he became so from this guy. He started keeping Shabbos. He's into a second cycle of Dafyaimi. His family became from, is everyone's Shemesh Shabbos now. And Nate Siegel said that what I wasn't able to accomplish with this guy in 10 years, Ivan was able to accomplish in 10 minutes. Because he understands what Shabbos is and he gave over the Kedusha Shabbos in a way that only a person that really means it can give it over. If we're not holding in Shabbos properly, we could talk about it, we could give NCSY, you know, pep talks about it, and we could write about it, and we could... But if you're not... If you don't embody what Shabbos is, then you can't give it over in that way. Because of Aaron so embodies Kedusha Shabbos, he was able to give it over in a way that made it irresistible. Tafshin Pei Aleph in Hashem will be a Shabbos a year. But we have to make it Shabbos. We have to make it Shabbos for others around us. We have to make it Shabbos for ourselves. It's hard sometimes on Shabbos to make it Shabbos because it, it takes effort. It means I have to act a certain way. It means that I have to prepare for it in a certain way. It means that I have to learn a lot of Tyra instead of reading newspapers and books and magazines and sleeping and doing the things that we naturally 
are used to doing maybe on Shabbos and they're enjoyable and, and we should have some of that. It's fine. We should enjoy the food, of course. It's Einig Shabbos and we should enjoy sleeping on Shabbos and we should enjoy talking to our families, but there's an art of Shabbos that's intangible and you can't even really teach it. You have to create it for yourself and it comes by sings miras and not talking when we're singing mirrors. It comes by learning, even though everybody, all your friends are going to schmooze in the dorm. It comes from staying up late Friday nights on those winter nights that you have so many hours, or at least going to sleep and waking up early. That's what a lot of Balabatim used to do back in Europe, or even in America. They would go to sleep on Friday night right after the meal because they were exhausted from a long week. But then they would wake up at, uh, I don't know, 12 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock in the morning, and, and then they would learn until davening, whatever it is. But the more that we're able to learn and feel and sing and enjoy and, 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 and spread Kedusha Shabbos by our, our very mahos, the more Shabbistic Tavshim Pe'alaf will be. One of the main ways of really understanding Kedusha Shabbos and appreciating Kedusha Shabbos is learning Hilcha Shabbos. There's a, a well-known Yaris Devash by Rabbeinus and Ivershitz that's quoted in the Hakdama to the third Chelek of the Mishnaburah, which is, of course, the Chelek that's dedicated to Hilcha Shabbos. And in that Hakdama, he quotes this Yaris Devash, and the Yaris Devash says that it's fundamentally important to be fluent in the laws of Shabbos. And he says the reason is simple. Because if you don't know Hilcha Shabbos, you're going to, without a doubt, be Machal Shabbos. How can you keep Shabbos without knowing the laws of Shabbos? So what we think is the laws of Shabbos is irrelevant. What we think is Mutter and Asr by just because, you know, this is how we grew up, it's not necessarily the case. So a lot of times when we're setting tables, we're clearing tables, and there's buyer issues, and we're not aware of that, the problems of buyer, so we'll just do it, but we might inadvertently be being Michal Shabbos. And so he says, we want to all be Shemr Shabbos, we all want to claim that we're Shemr Shabbos and not Chas Shalom be Michal Shabbos, but if you don't know the rules, so then you're playing a game that's a, that, that, that doesn't really have much meaning because you need to read the rules of the game in order to really play the game properly. To keep Shabbos and to be a Shemr Shabbos, we need to know the Hilcha Shabbos. This is what the Aris Devash says. And I saw an amazing var from Ravayashiv, which we'll conclude with, that... Rebbe Yashiv says in a Sefer Agada, Sefer Agada, that on Rosh Hashanah this year, when we lack Tkiyah Shefer because it's Shabbos, so normally the Shefer is Meshapar the Vlad, like I said. Normally it's a great schus for us in Din to have the Shefer go up to Shemayim and like Chazal say that as soon as there's Tkiyah Shefer, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gets off his Kisei Din and he sits on Kisei Rachamim and there's tremendous merit that we have through the Tkiyah Shefer. 
okay, this year we don't have a shaifer. And the Gemara says that a year that you're not meirin loy betchilasa, if you don't have the tkia, you don't have the true of shaifer, meirin loy betchilasa, it's not going to be a good year, Rahman al-Islam. So it says Rabbi Yashiv, and he quotes this Yaris Tavash, he says, if we are keeping Shabbos properly, because we're learning Shabbos properly, we know Hilcha Shabbos, we're going to try this year to do some of the things that I've been describing, and I'm going to also, Mir Hashem, try to do them as well. If we have all that going for us, then the Shabbos itself, the Malach of Shabbos, or the Shabbos, the Shechina, whatever it is, Shabbos comes before the Kisei HaKavid this year and says, Rabbi Shalom, there's no Tkiyah Shefer, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to represent the goodness of Klal Yisrael before you. Look at them. There are people that keep Shabbos. It's great, with great difficulty, with great mysterious nefesh. They're doing it. There's Kedusha in them. Give them a good year. Give them a Shabbos a year. Then that din of Rabbi Yitzchak that the Gemara says that if a Shana doesn't have a Tzki at the beginning, a Tzru at the beginning, it's Meriah and Leibesaifai, it won't happen because we have Shabbos instead of the Shaifer to defend us. But, says Rabbi Yashiv, if we're going into a year without Tzkiah Shaifer, and we don't have Shabbos either, because we're not midaktik on Hilcha Shabbos, or we don't know even to be midaktik on Hilcha Shabbos, we're not learning it. We don't care about a Shvos, if something's only Durabonin, we'll say it's only Durabonin, don't worry about it, it's a Shvos, it's a Shvos Ta'oma, whatever. We're flippant with Hilcha Shabbos, we're flippant with Durabonins, with Shvosim. Well, guess what? The entire reason why we're not blowing Shaifer is only a Shvos. Because generally speaking, we're not living in a Rishas HaRabim. There's no Rishas HaRabims these days. How many Rishas HaRabims are there in the world? Very few. It's a Carmelis. You go outside, that's not a Daraisa. No, it's a Daraisa of walking out, carrying a Shafer out from Yeshiva building into, onto 150th Street. It's not an Issa Daraisa. It's a Carmelis. So it's a, it's a Shvos. And for that shvus, we're not allowed to blow shayfer in yeshiva because some guy might carry it outside of the building to learn how to blow. And for that, we're not blowing shayfer. Well, if I'm midactic on every shvus, so then it, it makes sense. You know, Shabbos will defend us. But if you're not so careful about Shabbos, says Rebbe Yashiv, then you don't have shayfer and you don't have the defense of Shabbos. That's what Rebbe Yitzchak meant, that kal shana shemirin le'betchilasimirin We're in trouble. So Tavshin Pei Aleph must be foundationally a year of Shabbos. On Rosh Hashanah itself and beyond. If the foundation is Shabbos, that means every single day of Tavshin Pei Aleph is Shabbos. It's like a Shna Shabbos and Yelars. It's like a Shemitah year in a sense. And it is because if we're a Shabbos to Giyid, Shabbos bleeds into everything. Shabbos affects Tuesday and Thursday. Everything is Shabbos. But we have to shtelz of through the Shabbos. We have, to, we have to align ourselves with Shabbos. We have to think a lot about Shabbos and prepare for Shabbos properly. We don't have the, the nisyanis that our, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents used to have when keeping Shabbos. In the olden days, it was very difficult to keep Shabbos 
especially in America in the early 1900s, people would literally, every, and this is already, we, we speak about this all the time, but that's just, that's the way it was. There were no laws on the books protecting people's keeping of Shabbos. Today, if a boss fires you and you could prove that he fired me because I, I can't work on Saturday and Friday night, Friday afternoon, you could, you know, you, that boss has a, you know, a big legal case against him. And there are organizations that will fight him to the, to the death in order to defend Hilcha Shabbos and, and, and the right that we have, our liberties of keeping Shabbos. That wasn't always the case. You ask your parents or grandparents about what was going on in America circa you know, early 1900s. You get a job on Sunday, Monday, new job, you're working in a tailor shop, you're working in a factory or whatever it is. On Friday, you'd go to your boss and say, uh, I, I have to leave early. You know, it's one o'clock in the afternoon on Friday afternoon in the winter. Have to leave early. Why do you have to leave early? I'm, I'm a Sabbath observer. Really? It means you're, you're every, every Friday you're going to leave early and you're not going to be here tomorrow either? In the old days, used to work on Saturday also a lot. Says, goodbye. Goodbye. And then Monday morning, the next week, they have to find a brand new job. That means they have to schwitz the whole Shabbos thinking about how they're going to feed their families next week. There was no... There wasn't a welfare system. There, wasn't a, there, were, there weren't the social safety nets that we have today either. Very scary, but they were Meiser Nefesh. Many of them, not all of them, but many of them, to the best of their abilities, went and they were Meiser Nefesh for Shabbos. We don't have that Nisayin of Meiser Nefesh, but our Nisayin is a different one. Our Nisayin is how we keep Shabbos, with our blessings. Here, we have Shabbos. Go ahead, take it. <laughs> do something with it. What are you going to do with it? I'm giving you, there's no one forcing you to work on Shabbos. You're in a yeshiva, you have cholent, you have kugel, you have food, you have air conditioner, you have heat, you have light, you have svarim. What are you doing with your Shabbos? What am I doing with my Shabbos? What are we doing with our Shabbos? That's the Nisayan that we have right now. That's our challenge. Can we make Shabbos Shabbostic? Can we make Shabbos Shabbostic? We're, we're Shomer Shabbos. Baruch Hashem, that's not the Nisayan. We're keeping Shabbos. We enjoy Shabbos. We look forward to Shabbos. We like Shabbos. But is Shabbos enjoying us? Is Shabbos proud of us? Is Shabbos saying, that was a solid Shabbos? Or is he saying, or is she saying, Shabbos, Shabbos saying, blew it again. Blew it again. Gave you Shabbos, food, drink, shelter, everything, free country, beautiful, no persecution. That's our, our challenge. And we have a week now to really think long and hard, how could we improve Shabbos? How can we improve it in Yeshiva? This is a great takana that we made this year. And thank you to, the, to all the people that, that every, every Friday morning, it's not so easy to, but we, we started a new thing to put white tablecloths on the tables. That's a small takana, but it's huge. You already feel Kedusha Shabbos from that white tablecloth alone. Different. It's not a regular weekday. If we could take away a lot of the muktzah stuff on the tables, that would also be a small things. Changes the entire surah of Shabbos. No calculators on the table, no pens, no rulers, no... Uh... It's Shabbos. It's different. The way we dress, the way we prepare, the way we act, the way we talk, the way... It's up to us to create Shabbos. The Ebishter gave us a gift of Shabbos, but we have to elevate ourselves to come into the world of Shabbos. 
Rav Gedalia Shar says on a Gemara in Shabbos, says, I have a beautiful gift. It's called Shabbos. It's found in my treasury. Go tell Kla Yisrael about it. This is what HaKadosh Baruch says to Meshach Rabbeinu. Now, Rabbi Gedalia points out that it never says that HaKadosh Baruch then brought the gift down to Kla Yisrael, to planet Earth, to Kla Yisrael. It doesn't say that. You know, you think, okay, here's the gift. Mazel Tov, here it is. Never says that. And he says that the Matana Taiva, this great gift of Shabbos, is still Bebeis Kenazov. It's still not here. It's not here, Shabbos. It's not here. It's, it's, it's a heavenly entity. It's in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's upper chambers, in his treasury house. That's where Shabbos still is, which means that we have to figure out a way to get to Shabbos. It's not naturally because Friday afternoon comes and you know, and it's time, it's Shkia, now it's Shabbos. Shabbos means that now I have to figure out a way to elevate myself to feel like I'm entering that rarefied airspace, space, which is Shabbos. And that takes hachana before Shabbos. Some people have the minute to go to a mikvah on of Shabbos. Not everybody's minute, but it's a beautiful minute. It prepares you, it, it, it makes you ready for Shabbos. It gets you in that, in, that, in that mindset of Shabbos, Kabbalah Shabbos, to come to davening a little bit early, to learn a little bit, uh, and then after the meal, during the meal, learn and, 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 and enjoy, but make it geschmack, make Shabbos beautiful for yourself, for your, for your friends, for your family. Be makar of people to the warmth and beauty of Shabbos, but be makar of yourself first. Tavshin Be'alif, the Yisaitis of Tavshin Be'alif is Rosh Hashanah, and Rosh Hashanah this year is Shabbos, which means that this is going to be an amazing year. Hayrasa Bikdusha, Veleidasa Bikdusha, the birth of the year is in a state of Kedusha, and the entire year will be in a state of Kedusha, but we have to make it holy. That's our Nisayan. How will Shabbos be by us? And the way that it is now when you're in yeshiva will be the way that it is for your family, for your wife, for your children, your grandchildren. All these things, foundationally, foundationally, the more you bring Kedusha into your life, the more you get acquainted with Shabbos, learn Hilcha Shabbos, love Shabbos, be one of those people like Rav Aaron that embodies Shabbos. Your life will be Shabbosthic. Your life will be holy. You'll, be, you'll, you'll act different on Tuesday and Wednesday because of Shabbos. Mitzvah Hashem, we should be zeichet to a, a beautiful Tavshim Pe'alef. It should be a year of Kedusha. It should be a year of health for us and for Gans Klal Yisrael, for the entire world. And Mitzvah Hashem, we should be zeichet this year to Mekal Pnei Mashiach Tzakeinu. Amen.